I hope everyone's doing well. If you have your Bibles, please join me in the book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke, the doctor. We are going to look at probably one of the most famous parables in the world, a parable that even if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are unchurched and you just happen to get lost and find your way here today, you know this story. It's a story that even defines the way we talk about people. But before we get into God's word in Luke chapter 10, Luke 10, I want to recall some childhood memories and most of you would have the same memories. There's a man that used to sing a song that would go like this. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day in the neighborhood. Won't you be my? And the song concludes this way, right? Won't you be my neighbor? The man's name, Fred Rogers, right? A Presbyterian pastor. Um, he actually filmed a total of 895 episodes. I had to go back and relive that this morning to watch on YouTube. Um, he would always take his jacket off and put this little red cardigan sweater on. He said at one time, the Emmys, that his mom knit all of those sweaters. Go ahead, mom. Um, at its peak in 1985, 8% of US households turned into the show, tuned into the show. That is a, a lot. I began airing in 1968 and concluded in December of 2000 was the last taping. All right, Mr. Rogers said this. So, um, the song has stuck with me all of these years. Some of you think I'm 12, so for 13 years it's been in my mind. <laughs> but he said this. He said, one of the greatest gifts you can give anyone is a gift of your honest self. So he made it a purpose. He said, the way that I live on the show is the way I'm going to live outside of the show. And then he said it this way. I also believe that kids can spot a phony a mile away. Isn't there some truth to that? So we're gonna look at being a neighbor. We're gonna jump back into Mr. Rogers' neighborhood this morning and, and ask ourselves, Lord, how does the gospel, how does the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ transform the way I live? And if you've been reading along, I encourage you if, you, have, if you don't have a Bible reading plan, it's not too late, join us. We're about to start the book of Mark soon. Uh, for the next 40 days, we've committed to read through the gospels. Uh, but if you are on track, you read Matthew 24 and 25 last night, and we're gonna end in that passage of scripture where Jesus very clearly says, the way you live is a direct reflection of who you live for. Now, that's gonna cause some some terrified feelings because Jesus is gonna say, look, if you didn't visit me in prison, I don't know you. So we're gonna look at our hearts today and say, God, how can we live out the grace of Jesus Christ? This is the second week of our series on thankfulness. We've asked the Lord, Lord, rejuvenate, rekindle a heart of thankfulness in our lives. Because we get so busy, sometimes we forget to stop and be thankful. So I ask you, will you Ask the Lord to recommit your life to be filled with his mercy and his goodness. And I ask you also this, what would our neighborhoods look like if every single person here committed to be a neighbor that was full of compassion through Jesus Christ? What would our neighborhoods look? 
Because I believe the greatest mission fields we have are this, in this order, your family. You can pick your friends, you can't pick your family. God has given you family to glorify him. Uh, Your work, most of us spend more time at work than anywhere else. The third is your neighbor, your neighborhood. Are you reflecting Christ's likeness? And with that, let's look at Luke 10. And we, we ask today, Lord, show us how to rediscover thankfulness and how to see needs and share. So the art of seeing and sharing is the title of today's message. Luke 10, beginning in verse 25. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him. Now, if you're an expert, you should know everything, right? So an expert of the law tested him saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is a great question that you learn in nursery. This is the basic fundamental question that any of us could ask. And so this expert is asking a great question. What is written in the law? He asked, how do you read it? And so the expert answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. And this expert religious man raised his hand and said, well, Jesus, then who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Let's pray. Father, Lord, we are so indebted to your grace in our lives. As we have already sung, Lord, that we want the the blood of Jesus to speak for us. So that is our cry and we confess to you this morning that we and ourselves can know nothing of your glory and your might and your splendor apart from, from you. So Lord, we ask that you open up our hearts to receive your word. You open up our minds to understand it and you open up our hands to receive it and to live it. Lord, help us be good neighbors to see and to share the glory of Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, the first is is this, as we begin to look at thankfulness in our lives, we must ask right and important questions. I was always told growing up, if you ask the wrong questions, you get the wrong answers. So this man asked a very important and correct question. We look again in verse 25, and this is gonna be an important Sunday. Um, Every Sunday is important, uh, but you really need your your word out because we're gonna walk through this parable shortly. So we must ask good questions, and this is a great question. This is a softball question. This expert asked him, what must I do to be Save, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this parable that's going to come through and from is is a response to this wonderful question. So before we look at the parable, don't forget anything else that Jesus is saying in the front. So the parable is a response to the question. What is the question? What must I do to have eternal life? The parable is a response to the question. What is the question? Casey, my wife, I love you, right? She she is on it today. We did not practice this at home. Um, So the the good Samaritan is a response to what must we do? And so I ask you, do you know the answer? Do you know the answer? 
What will you say when you meet God face to face? Will you know the answer to this question? This is fundamental and crucial for our lives. God, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus turns that around because the expert really is asking, what must I do? The answer is nothing. You, do, you cannot do anything. It is, it is finished. I don't do, he did. Right? Oh, what a wonderful blessing that is. But there is gonna be a day in every single person's life where you are gonna meet God face to face and you will have to answer that question to your life personally. Will I have eternal life or not? And here's the beauty of the good news. We're gonna answer this question later, but the beauty of the gospel in Luke 11, if you turn one page to the right, Jesus says this, if you knock, the door will be answered. If you ask, you shall receive so Jesus says, ask the question and he will give you the right answer. The second is this, not only are you asking the right questions, but are you ready for the answer? Are you ready for the answer? And of course you say, well, I'm in church, pastor. Obviously I'm ready for a church answer. Are you sure? Because look at the answer Jesus gives him, right? Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 26, well, what is written in the law? What do, how do you read it? Now, this is a great question because um, Jesus is not telling him, well, you figure it out. Jesus didn't say, expert, you just figure out a way, live a good life, and in the end, hopefully your good will outweigh your bad and you'll be saved. That is not what Jesus says. There is only one plan of salvation. There is only one path to redemption, and it is this, love the Lord, the covenant name of God, the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Are you ready for the answer? The answer is not, you figure it out, you go to church, you do good. The answer is that there is one plan and his name is Jesus Christ. Now I know as Americans, we don't think that's fair. Right? We say, well, um, how, how irreligious, how non-tolerant, intolerant that Jesus would, would not give us multiple ways to, to find salvation. We live in the world of tolerance and we went to a pastor's conference last week and J.D. Greer shared a wonderful story. He was sharing Christ on the plane with someone and they got indignant. They said, are you telling me that Jesus said he is the only way, only truth and only life? He said, yes, that's what I'm telling you. So I don't believe that. I don't believe there's only one way. So Greer said, you know what? I'm thankful that this pilot only believes there's one way to land this plane. Only one way. I'm thankful that this pilot doesn't radio the air traffic controller and say, you know what? I hate your plan. I don't like that runway and I'm gonna land this plane upside down and backwards. You know what would happen if they did that? Death. And how dare us look at God and say, I don't like your plan. Are we ready for the answer? And are you willing to accept the answer to the question of what must we do to be saved? Ephesians 2, 8, for you are saved by grace through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is God's gift, not from work so that no one could boast. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior? If you try to land the plane by yourself, it only ends in destruction. 
And God is glorious and he is righteous and he is slow to wrath so that no man would perish. Would you accept Jesus Christ today? And you know what I found? And so I'm asking the question, are you truly a believer of Jesus? And if you're the one that says, well, I can't believe you would ask me that. Of course I am. You know what I found? When people come up to me and say, do you know Jesus? For someone who truly knows him, my response is, I'm glad you asked. Because let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. A sinner who was deep in darkness. A sinner that was in rebellion against a holy, infinite God. A sinner who grew up in church and knew about the Savior but did not know him. Let me tell you about the God who reached down from heaven and touched me and invited me into salvation. Oh, let me tell you about the blood that speaks for me. This is salvation. This is the answer to the question. And so now we ask, well, God, how do we live out this thankfulness? How do we live out this righteousness? You know, the assumption by the expert is what leads to the answer by Jesus. Often religious people ask crazy questions. If you haven't, if you've never been able to tell that. Uh, Church people are funny sometimes and they also ask funny questions. The assumption that there is a non-neighbor is what now leads Jesus to give this parable. Really, this, the religious man is saying because Jewish thought that they believed there were people who were non-neighbors. And so they were saying, Jesus, tell me which people I don't have to love. Make it easy for me. And Jesus says this, and let's walk through God's word. I'm gonna let you answer the question for yourself. Who is our neighbor? Verse 29. So we pick up in verse 30. Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem. Now, do we know the man's name? Do we know his heritage? Do we know what school he's pulling for in the Iron Bowl? No, we, we know nothing. So we know he is a man. Okay, so now, ladies, before you feel left out, the man was beaten and almost killed, okay? So this is not sexist. Uh, the man actually had the worst of it. And we'll look at isms later, how Christ transforms our lives. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. Was he sinning? I don't know. Uh, was he doing the wrong thing? We don't know. Was he, after, was he out after dark? No, had he gone to a party he should not have gone to? No, he was a man walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho. They stripped him, beat him, and fled, leaving him half dead. And a glorious event happened. A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw him, the priest passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And then something horrible happened. A Samaritan a man who was despised, a man who was a non-friend on his journey came up to this Jewish man, possibly. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds and poured on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn. He took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii gave them to the innkeeper and he said, take care of him. When I come back, I will reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these 
do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Church, you answer, which of these men, which of these proved to be neighborly to this man who was in need? The one who showed mercy, of course, in verse 37. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. So here's the answer. This man was walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho, about a 3,300 mile, uh, mile descent, 17 miles, but the elevation descended 3,300 um, miles. And so it's a long journey of 17 miles through desert, through rocky places. Uh, Jerome, in the, I believe the fourth century, even said that there were still Arab robbers in the vicinity. So this was a very difficult place, but it's not one of those places your mom says, don't go there. This man was not living in sin because this was a certain man who happened along a journey and fell into difficult times. This man could have been any of you and me. This could have been any of us. It could have been Joe. It could have been Josh. This was a man who fell into a difficult time. He was not a vagabond. He was not a bum. He was not addicted in what we would think of. Well, he deserved it. He was not out late or out early. He was by chance fell into the den of robbers. And yet we see now by chance a certain priest coming by. And as we read this, we think, well, Lord, of course, of course this religious man who loves you with all his heart, his soul, his mind, and his strength would stop by. Um, So what is the parable a response to? A question by the who? Who asked the question? The expert, right? This Jewish expert. So the priest comes by and this man's like, nailed it. Right? This is me, the the, the religious expert. And we see in verse 31, something amazing and tragic happens. A priest happened to be going down that road. What road? It's the same road. What is Jesus telling us? That in the road of life that many of us pass on, the same road, there are people who fall in need every day, I believe. And a certain man going on a certain way fell among thieves and was hurt and in need. And a certain priest going along the certain way saw the need. So think about that word saw. And what's interesting and ironic is the man was probably leaving Jerusalem because he was spending his time in the temple doing his civic duty. What's also interesting is that Jericho was a popular suburb of Jerusalem for the priest. So he was leaving the urban center, going to the suburbs. What is very likely is that this man who fell among the thieves could have been a physical neighbor of the priest. Think about that. It could have been Bob. And the priest was like, man, that stinks. And he passes by. Now, before we allegorize the reasons why he didn't stop, um, he would have been ceremonially unclean. That is fixable not life-threatening. What reason is given that he passed by here? There is eerie silence, isn't there? You know what? I think Jesus is attacking the ritualistic of religion. Jesus didn't give a religious response. You know why? There is no religious response appropriate. There's none. And so there is no response in this man. He goes along his way. Jesus is attacking ritualism. Who asked the question about eternal life? 
a religious expert. And who's the first one that Jesus talks about? The religious expert. Now, some of you say, well, I didn't grow up in church, so I get a pass here. Okay, here's your, your second option. A second man, verse 32, happened along the same way. And this was a Levite. So a Levite were, um, they were inferior to priests, not lower class citizens, but on the classification of where they served in the temple. So he had probably also been serving and he was going along his way. So he was a Sunday school teacher, right? The first man was a pastor or a deacon and the Sunday school teacher passes by and is like, mm, what does a Levite do? He saw him and he passes by on the other side. The two people who claim to follow the Lord their God are the two people who see a need and do not do anything about it. How tragic is this? So if you're keeping score at home, half dead man, zero, religious people, two, right? There's no help. And then verse 33, but a Samaritan. Now, your English translations don't do this service. In the, in the Greek, the, the very first word in this sentence is Samaritan. So that you cannot miss it, right? A priest sees and passes by. A Levite sees a need and passes by. And then verse 33, Jesus basically saying, Samaritan. You can't miss it. This is a man that would have been dejected and pushed back by society. And look what he does. He is on his journey and he came up to him. When he saw the man, he had what, church? He had com compassion. This is a word that means his insides were moved. Like he, he couldn't help himself. He, he could have been busy. He, he might have had all these excuses, but he, something in him welled up and said, I cannot leave this man half dead. Now we're gonna come back to that for our lives. This third man understood the situation, approached the wounded, suffered with him, and took steps to relieve his suffering. You see, this was the one man that we should be. This is the man that had compassion. This is the man that saw the need and then said, I will live out the love I have for the Father. I want us to transition from the parable now to how we live it out. Because everyone's gonna say, well, of course, I'm the Samaritan. Right, duh, I'm not, I'm not a preacher. Oh, I, I am, but that's, right. I mean, some of you are like, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a Sunday school teacher, so I'm good. I just wandered off the street. I'm the Samaritan. No, because the way we live tells the tale of who we love. So let's look now how the power of the gospel transforms the way that we live and share. So first of all this, some applications for our life. A thankful heart, a thankful heart notices the needs of others. A thankful heart notices the needs of others. Three times Jesus uses the word what here? Three times, the priest did it, the Levi did it, and also the Samaritan did it. They saw the need, that they saw the specific need. So if, if we are God's people, if we have covenant love and we have entered into a covenant through the, the precious shed, shed blood of Jesus Christ on our behalf, we are called to see differently. So much so that Jesus says in Matthew 25, and if you have been reading in your, your Bible plan with me, this is gonna jump out 
at you. Matthew 25, 37. The righteous will answer Jesus on the day of judgment. Lord, when did we see you hungry? Jesus saying, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty or give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger and take him in or with clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in person or visit you? And Jesus says, what you did for others, you did also for me. You see, God gives us new eyes in Christ. God gives us new eyes. And now look, seeing is not rocket scientist, not rocket science. You see, I'm obviously a rocket scientist. I've been in Huntsville last week, so I'm just gonna believe I'm a rocket scientist now. I drove by NASA, it just rubbed off on me. Listen, seeing needs are, is not rocket science. You know what needs your neighbor have? You know what needs that your neighborhood has? The same ones you have. They need food and they need a roof and they need love and they need mercy and they need a car and they need gas and whatever you might need, guess what? Your neighbor needs. And so God has opened our eyes to now see the needs of others in a new way. To see as a Samaritan saw the needs of the community. And so I ask, are we regularly seeking the needs of others? Are you regularly seeking the needs of others? It's amazing that when you open your eyes, when I open my eyes, God gives us opportunities. God gives us opportunities. Are you regularly praying, God, help me see needs and meet needs? If you are not, you do not understand the compassion of God because he saw my need. He had compassion on me and sent his son to give me new life. Gospel-centeredness, thankful hearts, leads to us seeing life differently. Secondly, a transformed and thankful life leads to us now meeting the needs of others. So it's not good enough to see. Now you say, well, why, why would you say that? So who saw the needs of, the Samar- of this, uh, this hurt man? The priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. So who saw the need? All three. So the issue is not seeing, right? It's doing. And so how often do we pray, Lord, if you open my eyes and I see needs, I will help. You know what God's response to me often is? I did. It's called sight. Look. And so I'll sit in my closet praying, Lord, if you open my eyes, he's like, well, open your eyes to pray then. This is the Lord speaking to me. Lord, if if you'll open my eyes to see the knees around me, he's like, look around. Your heart is closed and it is hard. Do, church, do. That, that, that's what the Holy Spirit is encouraging us. I believe time and time again, when we refuse to meet the needs of others, that, we, that is because we have refused the compassion of Jesus. Right? We, we refuse, and I love, we have ministries all throughout this church, not attached to the church. We have people serving the orphans and serving those at Christmas time and putting on roofs and doing break jobs and feeding and, and helping with rent because you have seen needs in your community and I celebrate that. Glory be to God. And I hope that we never regiment it. I hope that the Holy Spirit is just working in us and we say, Lord, help us meet needs. Now, in case you say, well, I don't want to do that. Let's go back to Matthew 25 again. Verse 41. Then he will also say to those on the left, 
at the day of judgment. Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. Talk about conviction. Man, I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. And how often do we, do I see people in need and our first response is not to help them. It's not compassion, but our first response is to, to go along our way and say, Lord, they must have done something. Lord, obviously they weren't working hard enough they would have food. Lord, obviously you told them not to walk down that path to Jericho. And the Lord is saying, but Josh, aren't they walking the same path you're walking? I'm like, mm, gosh. And aren't they struggling with the same needs you have? You're like, hmm. And, and didn't I open your eyes to see their need? Didn't you see they're half dead? Can't you see the blood? Can't you see they're in the ditch? It was like, man, that, that's horrible news. And God is saying, why aren't you helping? And one of the greatest critiques of the church, not Bethel, the church in general, it could be Bethel, by the way, is that people say you have these beautiful edifices. You have these pretty white steeples. And yet when someone walks in and they're beaten up by the world and they're bloody, you tell them before you walk in these doors, you need to clean up. You know, son, before you come in here hungry, look, you better go grab your own bite to eat. No, we need to say, look, you're hungry. Here's the bread of life. You're hurt. Look, I know the healer. And God has opened our eyes to now have compassion. And those who experience in compassion of Jesus Christ, we have no other way but to say, Lord, let us stop and have compassion. Is it inconvenient? Absolutely. Will it slow your day? Absolutely. Will it cost? Yes. Is it worth it? Yes. Yes. Yes, a transformed and thankful life meets the needs of others. I'll never forget just two ways that our, our needs were met in our life. I remember moving to Gramercy, Louisiana um, into an older established neighborhood. And we, had, we hired a moving truck. Um, we were only going like 20 miles. So we hired some movers and we, we're in our new home that has been provided for us. And we look, we look in our front door and three of our neighbors are in our house, unannounced. Like, what are they doing? These neighbors are crazy. But you know, they just saw that we had a moving truck and they didn't, before they even met us, they were bringing, they had our stuff and like, hey neighbor, where does this go? And I'm like, uh, that goes in the bedroom. My name's Josh. Um, but I'll never forget how they loved us and met our needs. They didn't care who we were. And they met our needs. And I, coming up, we have the Christmas store. And it's a way for every single person to get involved. Every single person can get involved and say, I want to help someone. I want to meet their needs. I want to love them. I want to counsel them and encourage them and give to them. I'll never forget last year, we brought our four-year-old and one-year-old, let that sink in. And we let them purchase gifts that they would like. And we told them, look, this is, for, this is not for you. This is for someone else. Have you ever taken a four-year-old shopping? And you know what God graciously did in their lives? They understood. And, and the joy they had to realize, you know what? I would love Paw Patrol. 
And I know another four-year-old would love Paw Patrol. And I wanna give that graciously and with compassion. And the idea in their minds that someone their age would not have the same Paw Patrol toy, like, like that, that did something to their heart. They were devastated. They're like, they wouldn't get this Paw Patrol boat or boat. That, that's horrible. And yet God was doing something in their little lives to, that, that showed their parents, you know what? Why don't we have compassion on others in the same way that they have compassion? So I would encourage you, find a way to live out the compassion of Jesus Christ in your life. Thirdly, a thankful heart notices the needs of others. We see, we do in Christ. We, we no longer also, we can no longer ask who our neighbor is. In Christ, we no longer have the right to ask, who is my neighbor? Because you're gonna get a parable and it's not gonna end well for you. You see, Jesus abolishes the preconceived notions that the world has. And not just the world, before we point fingers, we live in the world, the preconceived notions that we have. See, being a neighbor is not geography, it is Christ-centered, gospel-centered issues now. The man asks this, who is my noun? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers in a completely grammatical different way. Jesus doesn't say, this is your neighbor. He asks him, who is your adverb? Like, okay, here we go, English 101. He says, who is being neighborly? So a neighbor is not the person that lives next to you. A neighbor is someone that you should be loving and who's loving you. We can't ask anymore, God, which neighbor, this one or this one? Jesus' answer is yes. And in Christ, Jesus abolishes all the isms of our world. Like this man was, was racist. Like they believe that Samaritans were a mixed breed, a mixed race. And Jesus is tearing that away. You know, a, an issue that many people in the South that have grown up in church still have? Racist roots. And you know who can stop that and who can pull those roots out? Look, I grew up in Mississippi. I understand. You know who can pull out those deep-seated roots, those isms that we have? Jesus. Jesus. It's in Christ that racism is abolished and broken. It's in Christ that sexism is no more. It's in Christ that terrorism is no more. It's in Christ that criticism has no power. It's in Christ that ageism is gone. It's in Christ that point the fingerism is abolished. It's in Christ that denominationalism dies and goes by the wayside. There is no place in our lives for us to ask, who is my neighbor? The gospel answer is yes. Yes. And oh, that the world would see a church in general that they say, man, y'all are strange. You have rich and poor worshiping together. And we're like, that is strange. You have the healthy and the beaten together. That's strange. Yes, you have war eagles and non-war eagles. Roll ties together worshiping. And you know what? It, and they're worshiping as if football is not even a footnote in history. And we say, because it's not. Your church that no matter if you're on this side of the tracks or that side of the tracks, or if you're stuck in the ditch or you're in a good place, you guys are peculiar. You have society coming together and worshiping. And we said, that is not us. That is the power of the gospel. That is the beauty of the gospel in our lives.
Fourthly, I believe this application is for all of us. A thankful, transformed life is lived in a way that our earthly neighbors become our eternal neighbors. We live now in a way that our earthly neighbors become our eternal neighbors. At the core, the people of Christ should be confessional people. Confessional. How do you share the gospel? Some of you think, well, if I just live it, they will hear it. That is not true. We must also speak it. Now, let me say this. If you are speaking the gospel and you're living contrary to the gospel, your words have no power. But if you are living the gospel and you are mute and you are silent, then your words have no power and efficacy. They're not efficient. They're not doing anything. So we are by nature confessional people. Would you share Christ? And would you live and why live with a perspective that we say, God, I want my earthly neighbor today to be my eternal neighbor tomorrow. And Lord, they might not like it. But Lord, I love them enough to give them truth. And you know what? Let me, uh, let me just hit our hearts while I'm, I'm doing that. You know what? If your neighbor smokes and you don't like cigarette smoke, guess what? You might have to smell smoky for a while. But you know what? It's, it's worth me smelling smoky now to keep them out of the hellfires for eternity. And maybe your neighbor's an alcoholic and you say, well, man, they're, they're carrying on. You know what? Share Christ. Do do a life that is gospel-centered with them. Pull them away from that addiction because Christ can break those bonds. You say, well, you don't understand they have a filthy mouth. Well, that's okay because from the mouth is speaking the overflow of the heart. So not only is their mouth nasty, their heart is, but guess who cleans up hearts? Jesus. And you know what? I don't like that language either, but it's okay because Christ can change their heart. And when their heart is transformed, guess what follows? The mouth. And you know what? If they are bloody and bruised, it might take you spending some money from your pocket and getting a little bloody yourself and taking and missing a day of work and looking at that innkeeper and say, you know what? Here's, here's some money and anything else that he owes, I'll pay it. You know why? Because he paid, Jesus paid it all for me. He paid it all. Thankful lives from the gospel want our earthly neighbors to be our eternal residents. Now you say, well, why does this even matter? I understand we should be thankful. We should see needs. We should meet needs. Why does this matter at all? Well, Jesus tells us this in Matthew 25. If you want to turn there, we're going to end here. This is a passage I don't like, by the way. You say, well, you're a pastor. You have to like the whole Bible. No, I like the parts that are easy. I don't like the parts that are difficult. I'm still human. You know, the way we see needs and extend compassion proves our salvation. Proves our salvation. Matthew 25, very quickly, says this. 25 and verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And for the wicked is the opposite. They will say, Lord, we know you. And you say, no, you did not help. What is terrifying to me is Jesus is saying, you will know your salvation by your fruits. And if there are people in need and we pass by, you know what scripture says? You don't know Jesus. Or in that moment, you're not living with the compassion that Jesus has so freely given to you. That scares me. Because how many times did I see someone in need and I pass by? The way you meet the needs and show compassion is a direct reflection of the compassion you have been given and received from the heavenly father. So I ask you this morning, when we see Jesus face to face and he judges you, will you be found guilty or righteous? You see, Jesus finds us all guilty, but he died to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And because I put my trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's like that whoever man who fell on the road to Jericho, whoever calls upon him. So would you cry out today, Lord, I need you. You say, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the sin I've committed, any sin is rebellion against the holy God. It's not the sin you have committed, it's the one that you have sinned against. He is an eternal God. So one sin has eternal consequences. And when we are all judged, Matthew 25, all nations will be before the throne. Will you be on the right? Will you hear away from me, depart from me? For I do not know you. Or will you hear, well done, good, and faithful servants. You see, he took compassion upon us that we might have compassion on others. And if you look at the sum of your life and you are not helping the needs of others in your life, Jesus would say you have not experienced his compassion. And oh, that would that not change for you today? That you would bend your knee to the will of the master who took the cross for your sake Three days later, rose again. And now he sits on the glorious throne where one day he will judge every single person in here because he is righteous and he is faithful. Let's pray.